Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. How do angels play into the end times? We will look at that today here on Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. And to help us to do that in this interesting look at Revelation is Nathan Jones, who serves with Lamb and Lion Ministries and is the co-host of Christ in Prophecy. We have Nathan Jones with us. He's from Lamb and Lion Ministries. And Nathan, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, a lot more people have got interested in the book of Revelation. And you've put a book out entitled The Mighty Angels of Revelation. And I guess in Revelation, they talk about, in that book, more about angels than any other book in the Bible. Is that true? (laughs) Well, good to talk to you again, Mark. It's a blessing to be on your program. Uh, There is a lot of angels in the book of Revelation. Uh, Surprisingly, there is 72 angels or groups of angels defined in the book of Revelation. And so uh, as I was studying through it, I was surprised how much it is, and it just really inspired me to write a book about the subject. You can find, actually, in the Old Testament, 108 references to angels, in the New Testament, 176. So there's almost 300 references to angels throughout the Bible. Yeah, so there is something about angels that maybe we should pay attention to. Now, of course, it all started, and you talk about it in the foreword of the book, about the evil and the rebellious angels who followed Lucifer. Um, you know, they <clears throat> the story of this angelic creation would be one of destruction beyond the possibility of recovery, if not for God's prophetic plan for redemption. So that redemption is not for the fallen angelic horde. Uh, for they cannot be redeemed. So those type of angels are, are, are out there, but they can't be redeemed. Correct, right. Uh, it could be because angels have seen God face to face, but uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross were for his children and humanity. Uh, angels have already been destined to what their future is. Frequently, what Jesus would encounter demonically possessed people, they would reference, uh, hey, if you come for us before our time. So they know that they're going to be sentenced to the lake of fire one day. But in the meantime... The angelic world, uh, I should say the demonic world, is going to do everything it can to slow down and stop Jesus' progression of soul winning on this earth. And you can read here in uh, Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So uh, what we see in this world with all this uh, chaos, confusion, we we're looking at Russia invading Ukraine, Iran get nuclear weapons, and China invading Taiwan, and all the politics and all, that's just on the surface. Underneath that is what the Bible teaches here in Ephesians 6. There's a spiritual war going on between God's forces and Satan. Yeah. Now, in section one of the book, you said when it comes to personal supernatural experiences, direct or open demonic encounters tend to be more frequently witnessed by people uh, than angelic encounters. So, you're saying that there's more of the spiritual warfare with these fallen angels than with the other. Well, let me uh, start where I began to even write the book, and that was, I really hadn't thought much about angels or the demonic world at all, even though I've been a minister for many years, until my parents got into a serious car wreck. And uh, when they got in a serious car wreck, they were hit head-on by another car, and 
the engine actually was pushed through the firewall and, and, and pinning my mother to her side. And my father was able to crawl out a window, and even though he was had a lot of broken bones, uh, get out. And he passed out, out in the middle of the street. And he, he came in and out of consciousness, and he saw this and heard, because he's a big Harley fan, this motorcycle wheel roll up next to his head, and these clack of a boots get down and lift him up and put him in the grass. And he heard this door being ripped off the car as this man all in leathers checked uh, my mother and then checked the other car for the young mother who had a little kid in the back. And uh, anyway, so when my father came in and unconscious, he woke up in an ambulance, and he told the paramedic, he said, hey, could you please tell the biker out there, thank you for rescuing us. And the paramedic shrugs his shoulders, and he says, I don't know what biker you're talking about. And they look at the copies outside, and he says, there's never been a biker here. And my father, when I, I was talking to him in the hospital, I called him, was regaling the story, and he was sure, well, I think an angel rescued us. And, well, I was a little skeptical about it at first, like, oh, angels, really, rescuing? So I talked to a buddy of mine, uh, Vic Batista, who he and I do a podcast each week called The Truth Will Set You Free, and he says, hey, I, you know, I strongly studied uh, angels and believe that they are involved in today, and so uh, you should look at the book of Revelation, because there's more references to angels there than any other book of the Bible. And so he kind of got me started there. So yeah, uh, definitely, angels are at work in the world today, and as I continue to do my research for this book, I found out that angels serve as messengers and guardians, uh, they're rescuers, they're, they're certainly warriors, uh, worshipers, they're even evangelists and enforcers, they're the servants of the Lord, and they even serve as his executioners. Well, talking about Revelation, and you mentioned this on page 112, section 3 of the book, you say, the rapture of the church, uh, therefore, becomes the great divider in the, uh, divider in the time separating what is now the church age from what will take place, which begins the tribulation era. And when that tribulation era begins, angels show up a lot more, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Right now, it seems that most of their work is kind of under the scenes. Uh, the Bible does tell, tell us that you know you could entertain angels unaware, so certainly they're active. Uh, the, God does His work through the angels and Himself personally, of course, and through His Church in this time period. But after the rapture of the Church, when the restraining influence uh, of the Holy Spirit through the Church is taken off this earth, uh, we get into the Book of Revelation, which means to unveil an apocalypse or apocalypsis, to unveil, and as the veil is taken off, and John is being given all these different. Um, uh, views of what's going to happen during that time period by Jesus and his angels that's guiding through him called the, uh, I call him the revealing angel for lack of a better name. You get to see the actual angelic warfare and the characters that play a role in that warfare. Yeah. In that section three of the book, which you call the throne room, uh, you talk about man over angels and you say in every conceivable way, angels are far more superior to mankind. And then you go on to say possibly that between man and God, there exist creatures of higher than human intelligence and power, and you talk about them being superior to man, but inferior to God. So an angel is never greater than God. Oh, never, of course. Like God is God. He is divine. Satan, believe it or not, when he was uh, called Lucifer, he was God's guardian angel over the throne, and he was also the head of worship. And so he was the greatest of all the angels, uh, uh, more beautiful than any of God's creation. He was the number one highest created being ever. But as God got the worship of the angelic realm, Satan became jealous of God, and he wanted the worship put on himself. And so the Bible tells us that he led a third of the angels to rebel against God and try to overthrow God's throne. And God, of course, being God, all divine, kicked Satan and his demons out. 
and then sent them to Earth, and that's, that's where they are now. They reside here on Earth, and Satan actually is the ruler of this Earth, because when Adam and Eve sinned, the right to the, uh, we could call it the, the seven-sealed scroll, which we'll read about in uh, chapters 5 and 6, is that Satan has the title deed to the Earth. But when Jesus died on the cross, he gained the right to have ownership of the Earth again, and now we're awaiting the point where he comes and actually claims that title and comes and claims the Earth. It's a beautiful picture in, in Revelation 5 and 6 of, of Jesus there being the only one worthy to open the seven seals on that scroll and reclaim the earth once more. I'm, I'm looking at that, the, the seal judgments in section 4, and you say there on page 165, these 21 judgments are each and every one of them contained with Daniel's 17th, or 70th week prophecy, meaning the seven years of the tribulation. Now, these are all delivered by angels, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, this is You can see angels throughout. The, there's uh, trumpet judgment angels, there's bowl judgment angels, uh, there's uh, servant angels. we got angels that are messengers, like the vulture angel. Uh, we've got uh, then the demonic realm as well. We learn about Abaddon, who is the king over the demons. We learn about demons that, that look like locusts. And, you know, that's the interesting that most people, if they grew up like I did in uh, 20th century Americana, you read these children's books, and angels were always these white guys with blonde curly hair, and they wore white robes and had these beautiful stork-like wings. And But when you get into the Bible and you, you read about angels, you realize that they're just as varied as human and animal kind. I mean, there are definitely ones that look like men, but there's some like the cherubim who have four faces and four wings. You get some like the seraphim who are the four living creatures before God's throne that are covered in eyes and have six wings. Uh, there's some that uh, look glowing like the sun. There's some that look like animals and insects. There's some that are huge, like they're colossi, they're giants, and others that are not. So there's a wide variety of look and uh, duties that the angels have. Now, looking at all of that, <laughs> you also talk about the other side of this, uh, you know, in the trumpet judgments of of the book here. And one interesting statement you made here in Section 5, page 220, you say, I don't believe that the 200 million man army is comprised of humans, but instead of armies of released demons, the next grouping of angelic beings should make that apparent. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, certainly. Uh, it, it's one of the more interesting things that we get here is that we get to the fifth trumpet judgment. By now, we're, we're well into the tribulation time period. That's uh, Daniel's 70th week prophecy, seven years where God's going to pour out 21 judgments upon the earth to punish the earth for its sins, but also to bring a remnant to repentance. So there's going to be so many people that get saved during that time period. God uses uh, natural weather disasters. He also removes the restraint, let mankind act on their own proclivity, but he will also release different uh, demons into the world to punish man. So we get what's called the uh, these kind of these chimera, if you read about in Revelation 9, 17 through 19, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So what we got here is these these really strange-looking demonic-type creatures. And uh, then as you get into it, you start reading more and more about the, like, say, for instance, the million-man army, and you get into that, and that reads, now the numbers of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is John saying in Revelation 9:16 that these this giant horde of demons will follow these four generals, these demonic generals, whose ruler is a, a demon called Abaddon. And they've been cast into this bottomless pit 
where they've been imprisoned until this time period, this exact time and day, when they will be released to inflict pain and suffering upon the world and, unfortunately, uh, kill many, many people during that time period. Now, except for those who are Christians uh, who get saved during that time period, God's seal is put on them by an angel that seems to do the branding job. I call him the branding angel, and they're protected from this demonic attack. But uh, God is going to let these demons loose. Now, this is the same pit that Satan will one day, when Jesus returns and defeats Satan, he will cast him in a pit for a thousand years. So we have demons on this world now, which are disembodied spirits, as the Bible describes, spirits of the air, and they, uh, the ones who possess people. But then there's also these other demons who are being held in the bottomless pit, waiting to be released uh, during the tribulation. So there's more coming out than what we're up against right now, is what you're saying? Likely, yes. When you look at the numbers and things, those who have been disembodied and afflict the earth now is probably a, a, a lesser sampling than the clean amount, clear amount that the, the Bible talks about in Revelation about being released upon the earth. And, you know, Nathan, the, there's always been the discussion, well, and these days we really have the discussion of pre-trib, post-trib, and, and all this. But And then they say, well, how can people get saved, at, you know, after, you know, the seven-year period starts, uh, you know, if the Holy Spirit is removed and all that? And, you know, I guess everybody has their opinions and stuff like that. But maybe if you could give us a little more insight into that, I guess what you're saying here with this book, then, is angels become a lot more part of what's going on than they actually do now when that period times because the angels have to be the ones to do a lot of the assisting. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. And I've heard that argument before where people say, you know, the church needs to be there in the tribulation, either one, to be purified, as if Jesus' blood doesn't purify us from our sins, First John, and clearly it does. Uh, and then they say, well, the, the gospel needs to be spread during that time, so the church has to be there. But that goes against the teachings about the rapture, where the restraining influence of God's restraining influence is through the Church, is the Holy Spirit. So what's taken off this earth is the Church at the rapture, it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is, <laughs> is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So you just can't disappear from it. He's, he's everywhere. And so he will continue his work of bringing people to Jesus Christ as their Savior during this time period. Matter of fact, when we read about the tribulation martyrs, those who will get saved after the rapture, uh, they come from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people throughout the world. And, of course, many of them are martyred for their faith in Jesus. And they do so because, one, they've seen the rapture of the Church, so they know that this is happening. We read by the Fifth Seal Judgment that most of the world knows that God is behind this, even God's enemies. So there's a, there's, I don't think there's going to be really any atheists left during the Tribulation, because even God's enemies cry out for, for, for God to the Lamb to stop the punishments, and they curse them throughout the time. So uh, there's a knowledge of Jesus. There's the two witnesses who God's going to put in Jerusalem, who will preach from for Jerusalem for three and a half years. Uh, he's going to seal 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Uh, picture 144,000 Apostle Pauls and Billy Grahams going around the world sharing the gospel. Uh, the God's wrath, of course, is an example of, uh, that will lead people to the Lord. There's also all the materials that will leave. Hopefully someone after the rapture is listening to this interview, and, and hopefully that leads them to the Lord. And then we also read it. Here we go with the angels, um, the 49th angel, the gospel angel. God's going to actually send a gospel angel out who's going to proclaim his word to every single person on the planet. And that will fulfill Jesus' prophecy that before his return, every person on the planet would have gotten the gospel. Yeah. 
folks. This is quite an interesting conversation. Stay with us, and we're going to be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the Programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, and today we're talking with Nathan Jones, uh, the Mighty Angels of Revelation. Now, Nathan, I know also that there's some uh, artwork done in this book as well. So tell us a little bit about the artwork and also tell people how they can find out more about getting, uh, you know, a copy and finding, you know, checking this, uh, the story of the Mighty Angels of Revelation out. Oh, absolutely. So the book of uh, the Mighty Angels of Revelation, when I was writing it, uh, it's kind of a, think of it as a two for one. You're learning all about the angels as found in the book of Revelation, but it's also a verse by verse study of the book of Revelation. So you get the study in angelology and you get also the study of eschatology and so besides the, the academic information, I wanted to connect people story-wise. So uh, before each uh, chapter, you get a story of how John is, is traveling with his revealing angel uh, guide and seeing all this and kind of sets up the scene. But I also wanted visually to connect people because, again, I think most people, when they think of angels, think of these white guys with blonde curly hair and the wings and, you know, stuff that, that we've kind of, uh, our cartoons and our children's books have, created, but when you go through the Bible, you find out they're, they're so different looking. So I wanted to find an illustrator who could capture that, and I found a local person here to the Dallas area, Shalise Stevens. Uh, she's an illustrator. She's also an art restorer. She was wonderful to work with. She's so talented. And she drew 12 different illustrations of different angels, so we could put those before each section in the book. Uh, of course, the angel of the Lord, who we find out is, is an pre-incarnate name for Jesus Christ, so he's not actually an angel, but he's called the angel of the Lord. She drew a picture of the angel of the seven churches, uh, of the six-winged seraphim, of the wind angels. You know, we hear about global warming and climate change and all that today, but the Bible says that God actually controls the weather and his angels are his agents. So the four wind angels control the winds around the earth. Uh, There's others, of course, the bold judgment angels, the stone angels, and so forth and so on. She even drew a picture of Satan as he's portrayed in Revelation 12 as the red dragon, a, a uh, multi-headed dragon who's all red with different horns. So uh, she did a wonderful job. And uh, what we did is we, of course, put this book out on our own ministry's website, which is ChristInProphecy.org. People can pick that up there. And, of course, Amazon. You can always find it on Amazon. For folks who are e-readers, we've got it on Kindle, Nook, and Apple Books, and it's just recently been added to Walmart e-reader. So uh, this book is out there all over the place and should be easy to get. But it's called the 12, uh, excuse me, it's called the, <laughs> that's my other book, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. But we're talking here about the mighty angels of Revelation. Now, another thing about the book that you might kind of tell people about is this, you know, you talk about a journey along with the man called Elder and his angelic guide as they enter in the times revealed throughout the book of Revelation. Kind of how does, tell us how that lays out. Well, certainly. Most people uh, think that John is the author of the book of Revelation. Uh, he was really more the scribe as, as Jesus and uh, his revealing angel took him through the 22 chapters of Revelation. Uh, you got to re- remember that John at this point, this is about 95, 96 A.D., John is 97 years old. He is the 
only apostle that's left alive, and even then, they, uh, church history records that he, he was attempted to boil him in oil, but he survived. And so Domitian had sentenced to him to the island of Patmos. He was being put in a work camp. Can you can imagine a 97-year-old in a work camp, exiled to this little island of Patmos, and there, in his misery, uh, the Lord reveals himself to him as angelic guide is given to him, and he's given this uh, 22 chapters that he records and writes from his first-person perspective of all that he sees. And that's kind of key to the Bible here, is if you go to uh, chapter 1, verse 19, the Lord says to John, write the things which you have seen, in other words, present tense, the things which are, uh, that's coming, and then the things which will take place after this. So we get kind of a guide here of, of what the different time periods are being covered. So John is in chapter 1 saying, oh, this is what he's seeing. He's seeing the Lord come to him in all his magnificence and tell him, hey, this is, I'm going to take you on this journey and, and show you what's to come. Then he covers the seven churches, and that's what uh, chapters 1 through 3, and that's the second section of my book. And he's got a message to seven different churches that were literal churches and what is uh, today Turkey, but it was Asia Minor at the time, and they also represent different time periods within the Church Age. So chapters 2 and 3 cover the Church Age, and then the future, which uh, he covers, is then, of course, the Tribulation time period that goes then into the Millennial Kingdom, Jesus' thousand-year reign on Earth in chapter 20, and then 21 and 22, the Eternal State. Yeah. Also in the book here, you... You've got the Tribulation Villains. That's uh, section six of the book. And everybody, I believe, has heard of the Michael, the, you know, the Archangel. But you say, while Michael leads God's forces in an ongoing battle against Satan's demon, his primary assignment is to stand as the defender of the nation of Israel. Now, tell us about that, because I don't know that most people would think that. Yeah, well, of course, uh, God uses his angels also as guardians. We uh, read in... Um Revelation 12, 7, the war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. So we read about these archangels. So if you look at the angelic realm as well as the demonic realm, are organized almost in a military-type setting. You have your supreme commanders, your generals of the army, like approach Joshua, and you know the commander of the Lord's army, all the way down to more like your servant angels or your servant demons. And at the top of this is the archangel Michael, who's called the chief prince of... Uh, it means who is like God. He's the mightiest of God's mighty angels. and uh, But he's not the only archangel. We learned that God's primary messenger, Gabriel, could be considered an archangel. And Satan, before his fall as Lucifer, would have also been an archangel, too. Now, if there's, there's extra biblical writings that say there's more archangels, but I stuck totally to the Bible on this, which I think we should when we interpret the Bible. And so at least we know that there was three at the time period. But the Bible says that his job in Daniel 10:21 it tells us that he is the defender of the nation of Israel and you can read stories about the Israelis since their nation formed in 1948 of being in wars where Israel was vastly overwhelmed and yet miraculously win where missiles would be heading and then inadvertently turn or things blow up uh, stories on both sides account that Israel is supernaturally protected and we learn here in Daniel 10 that Israel is protected by the Mark, Archangel Michael himself. 
So back to what you was talking about here a while ago, that you, you know, at the end, there'll be a lot more demonic influence, demonic hordes be released out of the pit uh, during the tribulation time. But that will also go for angels as well. Do you believe then that there will be more angels released into that atmosphere to to battle and, and help the people? I can only say what the Bible says, so I don't know if more are going to be released or not. What we do know is that with this unveiling, as the book of Revelation or Revelation means, is that we are seeing the the warfare happen. Now, Satan has only a third of the entire angelic realm, so we knew numerically that God's forces are twice the size of Satan's forces. And, of course, they've got Jesus Christ, which is, uh, I don't want to get ahead, but, you know, when his return, he doesn't even need angelic forces. He doesn't need us who are following him on white horses, the saints. Jesus just speaks and his enemies fall apart. I mean, the, the divinity of God is so much more incredibly powerful than angels. You know, I, let me, if I could, get back to that question you asked a little earlier in the first segment, is about the authority of angels over man, because that's an important part. Angels are supernaturally so much more powerful, so much more intelligent. They can do so many more things than humanity. But humanity was made in the image of God. So it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament where the angels were called the sons of God. But when you get to the New Testament, it's now mankind who are the sons of God. And so it's interesting that the authority and the love of Jesus Christ that he has for his children makes humanity a favored, if you want to call it creation or favored race, over the angelic realm. And that could have played into why Satan hates humanity so much. He, he of course, wants to be as Isaiah teaches us, he wants to be the head guy and ruled and worshipped by humanity. Instead, humanity is loved more by God and and, uh, will worship him one day. So there's an interesting how even though satanic forces are stronger than us, uh, the Holy Spirit through Christians have power over the demonic realm too to cast out demons and all. Uh, uh, Some have that giftedness. So it's amazing to think that, that humanity in our weakened, fragile state, once we're in our glorified bodies, will have even authority over the angelic realm. That just, <laughs> market blows my mind. And another thing that is beginning to kind of get my attention more and more, and you put it here in the book in chap, section 8, it's called Mystery Babylon. A lot of thoughts out there right now about Mystery Babylon. There's a, you know, where does Mystery Babylon, I mean, you read Mystery Babylon, you almost make it kind of sounds like America. <laughs> so, you, you know, there's a lot of a lot of thought there along that line, but that is part of all this with the angels and the, the book of Revelation. Yeah, Mystery Babylon, uh, you can read about that in Revelation chapter 17, 18, is a mystery. That's why it's called Mystery Babylon, and it's portrayed as this drunken harlot who rides the beast, uh, the beast being a, a description of uh, the Antichrist, the one world ruler who will come who's possessed by Satan. And uh, the Antichrist kingdom and his ten kings, who are eventually the world will be divided into ten kingdoms, uh, will give her power for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but then kill her and replace her. And so that's the kind of the mystery. So she's drunk on the blood of the saints, meaning she hates those who follow Jesus Christ. She'll persecute them greatly. We read the fifth seal judgment, how terrible it is for Christians. Uh, I'll call them tribulation saints to, to differentiate them from the church, but how difficult it will be for the Tribulation Saints during that time period. And so there's many theologians with many different ideas. I don't ascribe to the United States being Mystery Babylon, as some do, uh, but I do see is that the United States will be eventually engulfed into the Antichrist Empire, and maybe one of the Ten Kings will rule over 
the United States or North America. The UN, since the 50s, has had the world divided into 10 regions, so that might become a reality one day. But uh, I ascribe to the interpretation that this great harlot is the, is a one-world ecumenical religion. A, after the rapture of the Church, Christianity is gone. Islam is pretty much destroyed by the Gog-Magog War. And uh, what you've got is this kind of this one-world kumbaya-type religion that dominates the first half of the Tribulation. But again, Satan wants to be worshipped, so he has it destroyed. He, uh, The Antichrist and his false prophets set up a image to be worshipped. They desecrate the newly built Jewish temple, which will be rebuilt one day, and they set up flat-out Satan worship the last half of the Tribulation. So the great harlot could be conceived as a religious empire, the Antichrist's religious empire, but it also has a political headquarters, and there's a few theories on that. Some ascribe to a rebuilt Babylon, others believe it's Rome, and some even believe it's Jerusalem itself. Um, I, I, I tend to think it's Rome particularly, but Babylon could be rebuilt again. So it's basically what we're talking about here is the Antichrist kingdom. Yeah. Now, when you look through the book and the contents of the book, every section, the different storylines, the different judgments, is a lot of them have got the word angel tied to them. So it, it almost comes down to the point that angels are really a big part of the end of the book. <laughs> oh, especially when you get to the bold judgments, each of those final judgments, we're getting like real close to the end of the tribulation time period, and the Lord sends his angels out to uh, send out the judgments that he's going to pour onto the world. And there's not much of the world left. By this point, over half of the world population is dead. Uh, that's staggering numbers to think, Mark. We're talking about that's four billion people in today's numbers will be dead within three and a half years. And then as the tribulation gets worse, as Satan tries one more time to overthrow God in his throne room, Michael and the archangel, the archangel and his angels kick him out one final time. Satan comes down to earth, and then the worst of the worst time period is called the Great Tribulation. The second half of the tribulation, we read that the first bold judgment, an angel pours out the wrath upon God's wrath upon the world, and it causes foul and loathsome sores to come on people who would take what's called the mark of the beast. It's a loyalty mark visible on the hand or the forehead. It's the Antichrist name or his number, which is 666. And the, these sores will come on the people who have taken the mark. Uh, the seas will turn to blood. And when we're talking about the seas, it's like it says every living creature in the sea died. I mean, that's we're talking about the total destruction of all sea life. It also says in the third bold judgment, another angel pours out God's wrath, and it destroys all the fresh water in the world. I mean, all of it. Totally useless. Can't be used. You get to the fourth bowl, another angel pours out God's wrath, and men are scorched by fire. Could be that the atmosphere is not protecting humanity like it should, and there's just terrible fire upon the earth. But then the fifth one is interesting. It's, it's a darkness that covers the world. A third of the day disappears and people are in pain from it. You get to the Sixth Bowl Judgment, and the Lord has the Euphrates River dried up, and that makes a way for the Asian kings to march across. The Antichrist empire is collapsing. There's civil war, and these kings from the east are coming to uh, uh, fight the Antichrist. They meet up in the Valley of Armageddon, then you get to the Seventh Bowl, and that's when the earth is utterly shaken. The, the worst earthquake ever recorded will just level the mountain and move the island. And this is all leading up, just up, to Jesus Christ returning. Well, folks, it's a very interesting book. Stay with us, and we're going to talk more about the mighty angels of Revelation right after this. Your future begins today. 
Your new second chance just arrived. Welcome to Fresh Grace. Welcome to New Hope. 91.7 The Word. Radio that impacts your future. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. My guest today, Nathan Jones, uh, the Mighty Angels of Revelation. He's from Lamb and Lion Ministries. And, uh, you know, Nathan, if people want to know more about this book, tell them how they can do that and find out more. Well, certainly. Uh, I'm an evangelist here at Lamb and Lion Ministries. We're a Bible prophecy teaching ministry, and our mission is to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. We do that a number of different ways, and primarily through our television program, which is called Christ in Prophecy, now airing in its 20th season. Uh, folks can find us on our website at ChristInProphecy.org. There we have a wealth of information on Bible prophecy, articles, videos, and the newsletter you can sign up for, resources like this book, The Mighty Angels of Revelation. Uh, we also have social media you can sign up. We want to get you excited about the Lord's soon return, so folks can check us out on ChristInProphecy.org. All right. Well, looking here in Section 9 of the book, it's called The Second Coming. You say on page 348, and uh, this is a very interesting thought. It says, the Antichrist and false prophet will become a very first people that we read about in the Bible who will be sent to hell. In fact, many don't realize, but nobody lives in hell right now. So these are these are going to be the first two captives of hell? Right. Yeah, and this is fascinating. So Jesus Christ returns on a day unlike any days where his sign's in the sky and it's dark and there's rumblings. And Jesus will burst out of the sky, and the church-age saints, that, that, that's us. I, we're going to be seeing this one day in person. And the Bible says we'll be riding white horses, and we'll follow Jesus as he comes back down to earth. The Antichrist and the false prophet will, have, uh, using three demons that look like frogs, gather all who remains on the earth to try to stop Jesus from returning. What should be a, a civil war, war battle ends up being a uniting. They see Jesus, and... The Antichrist has got part of his army trying to destroy whatever Jews are left in Jerusalem. And you get to the Valley of Jezreel in Israel, and it becomes a great battle. But uh, with all these forces, and this is always Satan's plan, is he's always trying to get as many as creatures as possible to team up with them to overthrow Jesus, but it's impossible. And this is the best part of the book, Mark. I love this, because Jesus returns like an enraged warrior, and he, he comes and he crashes down on the Mount of Olives, and it splits in two by the impact, and it creates a valley that breaks into Jerusalem so that the besieged Jewish people can escape out. And then with just a word, he speaks, and all these forces, all these followers of the Antichrist just kind of melt in front of him, and it fills the valley. We're talking like 180 miles or so with blood up to as far as a horse's bridle, about four feet. And that's pretty much the rest of it all wiped out. And what he does is he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet, and you're right, he casts, they are the first to be sent into the lake of fire. Right now when someone dies in rebellion against God, they're sent to a place called, in the Bible, called Torment or Hades. It's a prison, it's a holding place, until the great white throne judgment at the end of human history when they're resurrected and judged. And so Satan uh, is then also cast into uh, that bottomless pit we mentioned earlier. So that's getting into what's the millennial kingdom, where only those who have accepted Jesus as Savior during the tribulation in their earthly bodies live on into the millennial kingdom. They're repopulated. It's, it's going to be like a utopia again, and Jesus will rule and reign on this earth from Jerusalem, and uh, there'll be peace and bounty, and uh, the curse will be partially lifted, and, and all the 
destruction of this earth will be all cleaned by Jesus, uh, I assume, pretty rapidly. And that's where we enter into the promised kingdom of Christ. Now, you're talking about, in the book here, that's section 10, I believe, uh, Revelation 20 is what you're talking about, the millennial kingdom. Go a little bit more into that. You know, I don't know how many people really understand them. I don't understand the millennial reign as much. Uh, so, you know, the devil is has no influence during this time. There's no Antichrist. There's no any reason for any of this. I guess angels will still be part of the millennial reign. But this is a time in which, in a way, to me, God is proving that mankind's heart is bad because they still will sin, even without the help of the devil. Right. This is the prophesied Davidic kingdom. When King David, through the prophet Nathan, was given a prophecy that there would always be someone sitting on the throne of David to, to rule over this earth. And, of course, that uh, the ultimate was Jesus, the direct descendant, as well as the forerunner of David, a confusing teaching, but because uh, he is God. And uh, Jesus will rule and reign, the Bible speaks about. Oh, there are so many verses. It's not just Revelation 20. You can read through all the major and minor prophets, uh, the Psalms, even the books of the law, all talk about this, this kingdom of Jesus Christ, this, this rule and reign of the Messiah on this earth. And that's what the millennial kingdom is. We call it the millennial kingdom because in Revelation 20, it's revealed that this will last for a millennium, a milli meaning thousand, and a meaning years. So for a thousand years, Jesus Christ will rule and reign over this earth. There's no demonic presence because the demons have been cast away in Satan into a bottomless pit. Those who have taken the mark of the beast and followed the Antichrist during the tribulation will have been sent to Hades. And so, as I said earlier, only those who have accepted Jesus as Savior during the tribulation and survived it, which there won't be many, will live on past what's called the sheep-goat judgment of Matthew 25, where the sheep are the ones allowed into this kingdom. And during that time, it'll be like a garden paradise. It's almost like a return to the Garden of Eden. And there will be children born to the millennial saints, and the Bible says that the people live for hundreds and hundreds of years. There will be no, no sickness. There will be very little death. Animals won't be attacking and killing each other. And it's just going to be a time of tremendous bounty. People go up to see Jesus each year in Jerusalem, and uh, it's just a wonderful time period. Those of us uh, in our glorified bodies, Mark, you, me, others, will be there serving the Lord as administrators and teachers and uh just doing all sorts of different jobs. We're the kings, the saints. That's our inheritance. And we'll rule and reign with Jesus Christ over those in their earthly bodies. But near the end of it, Satan is released. And people are, why would God release Satan from the bottomless pit? Well, God has always wanted mankind to be able to choose him or not. And this is a chance for those born during the millennial kingdom to choose Jesus Christ or not. And those who want to reject Jesus they side with Satan. There's one last attempt. They try to go up to Jerusalem to overthrow it, but there's no flood or tribulation. Jesus just speaks. Fire comes down and incinerates them all, and that is the end of this last great rebellion, which shows that even in a perfected, almost utopian society, the real problem with humanity is our sinful heart, and we will always take a utopia and destroy it because of our sin nature. And again, you know, that's is where people, like you say, struggle with you know, why the devil comes out of the pits, or at least Antichrist and whatever there. The, but in doing that, then the angels come back into play, don't they, a lot more? Uh, because during that reign, the angels aren't going to have a lot of, you know, work to do as far as spiritual warfare, but angels will be released again as well uh, to combat this. 
Yeah, we get to uh, the 70th angel in my book. was called the Jailer Angel, and he's the one who is keeping Satan locked in that bottomless pit. So we've got uh, a Jailer Angel there. There's Executioner Angels. But then there's really wonderful. There's like uh, Angel 71 is the eternally good news angel. He spreads the good news of Jesus Christ uh, about the eternal state. And this is where, after the Millennial Kingdom, God's going to hold what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And all those who survive the Millennial Kingdom and those who are uh, sentenced to Hades will be resurrected, and they'll be judged, and they'll be judged based on their works. But the only work that matters is the saving work of Jesus Christ. And since those who died in rebellion against Jesus never accepted his salvation, they will be sent to the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is what we call hell. And this is fascinating, because uh, Jesus then sends all his enemies to the lake of fire, demons and Satan and, and all those who rebelled against him into this lake of fire, but he also sends Hades, wherever that is or whatever that is, gets sent there, and even death, as if death personified is there. And so Jesus then defeats all his enemies, and the Bible says then he turns the kingdom over to the Father. And we're back now to the Garden of Eden, where all rule and reign is under God himself. And so God's redemptive plan is done. All those who've accepted Jesus as Savior who want to live with God forever or with him, and we move on into the eternal state, which you can read about in Revelation 21 and 22. We've got uh, more angels there. We've got this new Jerusalem, it's called. It's a super city that will come down onto a new earth, and that's going to be our home forever. It's exciting. That's our future home. And there's 12 gates, and there's a ceremonial guardian angel in front of each gate. So Shalice uh, actually drew one of the guardians of the 12 gates, too, to kind of give us an idea what it, it might look like. And it's this, the angelic realm will be working with the angels, will be serving the Lord, will be worshiping with them uh, before the Lord, will be talking to Jesus face-to-face, and finally will be able to be uh, before the Father. And that's what God's trying to do, get us back into that right relationship with Him so we can stand before the Father holy and pure, and have that one-on-one relationship with him once more. Uh, Section 12 of the book, An Invitation, page 387. You say some of you might find yourselves fearful of the Lord's anger because you have are still living in sin, compromising in some areas. Be sure that if your conscience is troubling you, then that's a good sign. A troubled soul shows you to remain sensitive to the Spirit of God. You recognize that you're not perfect, and you can still sin. This is a good start. So this last part, this invitation part of the book here, that's pretty much to try to talk to people, try to get people to see who they are, see where they're at in their own personal walk with Christ, and try to get people in a better alignment. Absolutely. Uh, everything we do here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, we have a message for believers to uh, live holy lives and to dedicate their lives to evangelism while the time is short. But our other message is to unbelievers that God's wrath is coming for them, and that today is the day to repent of their sins and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. So uh, Vic Batista and I, we taught through the book of Revelation from the angel's point of view. Uh, for many of our podcasts, I then did a blog series and that was kind of the nucleus of where this book came. So uh, Vic Batista wrote the salvation message at the end of the book in hopes of giving uh, the people who are reading it who might not know Jesus as their Savior a chance to accept the gospel. And I've, what's neat about when you write about angels is a lot of people who wouldn't want to read about Christian things are steering to spiritualism. They'll read about angels. And I've had many uh, testimonies given to me that people who have not started out as Christians have read this book have seen God's work 
through the, his mighty angels and through his plan and got to the end and read the gospel and, and got saved. So <laughs> praise the Lord. I'm, I pray every day that the Lord will use this book to encourage believers, but also lead the lost to Christ. Now, Nathan, you started the book kind of telling people the story of the intervening angel, you know, that uh, biker angel that showed up and, and it helped your mom and dad. But now here at the end of the book, we got number 73 and we've got another biker angel showing up again and that's how the book ends can you tell us a little bit about that well uh, you know it's funny as i've been sharing my parents story about this biker angel as, as they call him uh, who rescued them uh, other people have come up to me and said you know what i've had that same experience this this biker guy came out of nowhere and and helped rescue me and then disappeared and nobody could remember him and as i was doing my research for the book i came into this uh, story of this uh, woman named Dobie who was down driving down the I-5 near Sacramento and her water pump blew and she was stuck in the middle of rush hour traffic and uh, she, people are honking at her and she was frightened and scared and she prays, please God, send me an angel, angel <laughs> preferably one with mechanical experience. And no kidding, five minutes later, this Harley Davidson motorcycle, I don't know, this angel must have a preference for Harleys, pulls up alongside her truck uh, fiddles around in the engine and gets it working. She's kind of scared. You know, bikers can be kind of scared, but uh, her truck is roared back to life, and uh, he comes by and he says, don't judge a book by its cover. You may never know who you're talking to. And he just pointed to the sky, got on his bike, and rode away. And whether this was an actual angel or not, I don't know, but she felt that this was an answer to prayer and likely could have been angels. So somewhere out there, there seems to be an angel who has an affinity for Harley Davidson. <laughs> Well, the, bu- the book's entitled The Angels of Revelation. Uh, again, the Mighty Angels. Yeah, The Mighty Angels, and they are mighty. Uh, tell us again how people can find out more about this book and Lamb and Lion Ministries there that you work for as well. I'd recommend uh, going to our website at ChristInProphecy.org. Uh, you can purchase the book there, of course, on Amazon. I highly encourage you to check out our television show, Christ in Prophecy, and our many other resources to help you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. Or if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, write me through the website, and I'll give you the gospel message. Jesus died for your sins. Accept him in faith, and you shall be saved. Yeah. And by the way, folks, we do air that broadcast here, though it is in the TV form. We do it in the audio form here on the radio station each week. So, Excellent. So uh, thanks again for uh, being with us today here on Crosspoint, Nathan. Oh, it's been a blessing. Thank you, Mark. Really good book today. Really interesting talking with uh, Nathan Jones about these mighty angels of Revelation. Folks, we are living in that time period now where these mighty angels are there to help us. And like Nathan was talking about, the Bible talks about angels all through it. This Bible that I hold in my head right now, if you'll read it, well, you'll find out about these angels in Old and New Testament. The Bible is the very inspired words of God, so it doesn't matter who you are. It works for you. It's the very essence of life. And this book accurately directs every life, every day. It'll show you what eternity holds for those that will follow it. And the Bible contains the most important words you ever read or ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNEO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO.
you may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email, crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org. Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. 